0: What we like to do here on the AI and Industry podcast is look around the corner at where AI is genuinely impacting industries. What's really happening in different industry sectors and applications, and how can people make smarter business decisions because of that. Often that's going to involve us bringing on service providers, you know, B2B companies in the AI space, or folks who've, you know, purchased and worked with AI really in depth. What we like to cover is kind of how is this stuff hitting the ground running. Sometimes the people that get the best perspective on that, although we don't talk to them quite as often as the service providers, are VCs. In this episode, we're lucky enough to speak with Jake Flamenberg, who works with Excel in Palo Alto, rather well-known VC firm invested in many, many large, super well-known companies in the artificial intelligence space. Jake has been with them for about, uh, I want to say five years at the time of this recording, where previously he was with Cloudera, who's been on the, the podcast quite recently. The focus of this particular episode is on whether or not AI is eating the world. Mark Andreessen's quote of software is eating the world was back in, I think 2010, 2011, something along those lines. AI is becoming tremendously popular. Where is it going to really be kind of table stakes? Where is it gonna be necessary? Although it may not you know, necessarily eat the world, Jake has some pretty strong opinions about where software will integrate artificial intelligence in very intuitive, very valuable ways for users. And he paints some real examples of that with some of the companies Excel's invested in, and some other sort of tangible examples so people can get a sense of. If you want to get an idea of what software five years from now might look like in the enterprise, what elements, facets, features can be kind of tacked on or built in thanks to the developments of artificial intelligence, this is not really going to be high-level and theoretical. It's going to be real examples of how that's happening now and how other companies are likely to follow suit. If you're building a business, We're thinking about purchasing a product from a vendor. Probably useful to make some of these considerations in your own business decision making. That is what we sort of like to do around here, help business folks make smarter calls about what's going on in AI, how it's going to affect their lives and their business. I think Jake hits the nail on the head with this episode. Really enjoyed it. Got to visit Excel's headquarters in Palo Alto. Since moving to San Francisco, I've just been up here all the darn time. So many VCs and companies in in San Francisco, it's it's actually nice to get back to the Valley again. Um, There's actually a picture of me at headquarters, really cool building they've got with a lot of their companies up on the wall. If you guys get to check out the blog post for this episode, which will have links to other cool investor interviews in the AI space, make sure to go check that out as well if you're interested in the investor's perspective. Uh, Again, I really think Jake knocked it out of the park on this one, so I'm excited for you guys to dive in. Without further ado, this is Jake with Excel. So yeah, Jake, we can kick it off with this idea of kind of AI eating the world, the classic notion I think from Andreessen is, you know, software is eating the world. Uh, There's, you know, companies, a whole ecosystem of, of companies that, you know, selling software is their core value profits, what they do. Is there something similar happening with AI or is the dynamic different here? We shouldn't think about it the same way that Andreessen mentioned.
1: Yeah. So I really think of it through a couple different lenses. The first is, is one really horizontal versus vertical. And then the second might be is, is data and is data driven software eating the world. So to the horizontal question, You know, we've been fortunate enough to invest in a number of successful data management companies, data delivery companies, data prep companies, BI companies. And the question we run into when it comes to AI is, is there a horizontal platform? How many people have enough data and have enough sophisticated end users to make use of such a platform? And what is the durable basis of competition for that platform? One thing we fundamentally do not believe in is that someone is going to have a durably differentiable algorithm in the limit, meaning, Mm -hmm. you know, most things that are invented in computer science tend to sort of seep their way out to the rest of the world. I think, you know, proof positive of this is Google's decision to open source TensorFlow. And, you know, I think they did that for a variety of reasons. Certainly, the competitiveness of the cloud offering is one of them. But that's really an interesting stake in the ground that even Google is saying, hey, our algorithms are not our differentiating advantage, it's actually our data. And we're not, we're not giving away our data. So data is the lens through which we really evaluate a lot of our early stage AI opportunities. There's a few things, if you're looking at images and video in particular these days, where you might want to bring out the deep learning bag of tricks early on. But we're much more interested in what is the data that you're collecting? How unique is that data? Are you getting these sort of ancillary data sets to do supervised learning on top of and how is that going to allow you to sort of crawl walk run your way into advanced analytics. And so for a lot of SaaS applications, you can envision how to make them more data driven. When some of the folks and many of them do come in and, and pitch sort of AI for this, AI for that, we say, hey, you know that's great, but can can you describe the value of your business without using the word AI? And tell me how you're going to collect some data along the way. And for some people, that's really scary. It's sort of deer in headlight situation. And that's scary for me as an investor, because if your quote unquote AI doesn't work out in the beginning, what do you have left versus, okay, yeah, we're going to incrementally improve an existing workflow, we're going to collect some data along the way. And here is how we're going to layer in iteratively over time, more and more advanced analytics. If you take the word AI, trying to see some takeaways for the
0: folks tuning in, if you take the word AI out of your pitch, is all the air out of the balloon or, or do you have sort of a, a general underpinning of, of where value will be driven
1: with the, the data you're collecting, et cetera? Yeah. Um, and another mistake that we commonly watch technical founders make, particular ones that come from this domain, is they sort of rest on their areas of expertise. And so if I'm a CS PhD student, I'm going to spend all my time building out the platform. And if you think about a startup as the systematic process of reducing risk for whatever you're going after, the most important thing that they could spend their time on right now is the business model, not necessarily once you have a prototype, the technology. And, and so if I could impart one thing to a lot of these, you know, these founders, it's Yes, you're going to have to have some technology, but hopefully, we're going to give you credit for your background and your expertise, and and spend that time in those areas where you do see a lot of risk. AI, unfortunately, has received so much hype that there's this you know funny little situation going on. I, I liken to the business plan in this, you know, South Park underpants gnomes yeah, episode. I don't know I mean, if you've ever heard of it, yeah. but it, it, but they sort of, you, you don't have to be a fan, but it, they put up this business plan and it's step one, collect underpants, step two, question mark, yeah. and step three, profit. Now, you know, we're not collecting underpants here. We have PhD students solving really, really hard problems, but, you know, that step two is still pretty close <laughs> to a question mark down, yeah. for an awful lot of people. Yeah. And, a little bit of incremental progress on that step two is going to matter and make your company so much more valuable than a lot of progress on step one sometimes.
0: Yep. Big time. I'm sure most people are vaguely familiar with the analogy. Easy to Google underpants gnomes for those who aren't an apt analogy, most likely in many regards. Um, so it sounds like you know, you're talking about business models that maybe can or can't use it, understanding what the core business is here, not just, hey, AI, really cool AI, I got a PhD AI and eventually money, you know, whatever that middle step is. Do you see, again, the statement before was software is eating the world in many regards, all these various and sundry elements of boring systems like, you know, transportation and fulfillment and and other things that we didn't think of as kind of startup domains of focus are being sort of gobbled up, so to speak, by software. Is AI doing the same to some degree or is AI sort of a layer and, and an underpinning of maybe some of those softwares that are embedding their themselves into the various systems? Uh, around us. Do you see that as an, an analogy, like AI and software in that regard, or are they kind of coupled in some different fashion?
1: Yeah, you know, I think software and AI are coupled together. Unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of divergence between AI and sort of the common parlance that implies some level of sentience that Might not necessarily exist in the purely academic definition. And that's why I sort of come back to data and perhaps something as simple as recommendations as its roots. If you look at a lot of the, you know, public consumer services like a Google, a Facebook, a LinkedIn, et cetera, they always have that sort of like next best thing right there for you. They have to crunch a lot of data, whether it's the article you want, the person you want to connect, and that's the opportunity that really exists in every other facet of our life. I think we're much further behind in the physical world, in the enterprise world, to compare where we already are as sort of Internet and social consumers, and and that's the opportunity. And you could call it an an AI opportunity. I call that you know an opportunity to build data driven intelligent software. And in the future, they'll either be you know data driven intelligent software, and they'll be shitty software. You know, and we're going to invest in the data driven <laughs> software ten times out of ten.
0: So, uh, I think tangible examples for that would be curious. I mean, you guys have invested in the Jets and Dropboxes and and you know other software kind of names and company names that, that folks might be familiar with. You know, you mentioned Google, LinkedIn, sort of LinkedIn referencing the people who you might know, referencing the groups you might want to join, maybe sending you emails with articles they think you'll engage with, Google doing the same thing with their drawing to the forefront. Are there good examples of those same notions being pulled into other kinds of software, the stuff you guys are investing in.
1: Yeah, you know, it's hard and it's unfair to put early stage companies in the same stratosphere as companies that have been fortunate enough to be that successful. You know, I think there's a lot going on in, in AI in the security domain, for instance. And we have a lot of companies, CrowdStrike, Vectra, amongst others, that use a lot of advanced analytics to help find the threat, help find what's wrong. One of the younger companies in the security space that's sort of in the early days of this that I'm excited about is a young company I work with called Demisto, And they help incident responders do their job more efficiently. So if we think about the security landscape, a lot of the adversaries are spending a lot of time investing in automation to systematically test a company's weakness. And if we rely just on humans and not, you know, at least semi-automated systems to help respond, we're in trouble. And and so the basis of what these guys are doing is they're a security command line on steroids that integrates with all of your existing security tools um, combined with a chat interface. And what this allows you to do is it allows the incident responder to spend the value Majority of his time during the day in this one tool, and if he's not chatting with someone, it can't really be that big of a security incident. And by doing that, what they wind up with is they wind up with a system of record for the incident, what the security professional is actually doing. Now, that turns out not to be petabytes or exabytes of data, it's a very small amount of very high intent data. And then, what a company like Domisto is able to do is take that data and learn from it and say, Hey, Daniel, last time you had this security incident, here are the three steps you took to resolve it. Do you want to? To make it a rule, is this wrong? Explain why it's wrong to us so we can learn more. You know, that's the same opportunity that exists in almost every other facet of software. Another great area that we spend a lot of time on is service desk. Right now, service desks make all their money by routing tickets. How do I take this problem? A consumer has... Lots and lots of logic, you know, email the right guy on the other end. Yep. And if you think about this consumer first mentality, that's exactly backwards. The last thing in the world I want as a consumer is that something called a ticket. That sounds terrible. No, I want sucks. Yeah. I want a FAQ. I want a chat bot that's going to answer my question. I want a system that tells me, man, if you just took this one piece of information you had behind your firewall and made it public, that would answer some more questions for you. And so this sort of consumer first collect all the data mindset is going to help us Just make things more accurate. Even if you think about CRM, CRM is a tool that oftentimes people are entering their data at the end of the quarter so they get paid. If you can incentivize someone with a little bit of help the way, you know, one of our former portfolio companies, RelateIQ, did to use the tool every day, but by providing them information about a particular opportunity or what's going on in a social context, I as a sales rep want to live in that tool every day. I live in it every day. And guess what? All of a sudden my manager now has more accurate and more timely information than they ever did before. And that, and those sort of little changes are the basis of what I call data driven software. And as you crawl, it's you know, it's very simple heuristic things and in the limit it's very advanced analytics. It is recommendation systems, it is deep learning, it is AI. And so I, I guess I
0: have a lot of ideas spinning off the top of my head, but I suppose, you know, what you're mentioning now, there's sort of two uses for this for the for the listeners. One is is uh we're getting some insight about business models, too, is like, you know, here's some people that solved the problem in this way and got invested in, you know, lessons to be learned there and sort of how to to crack the nut properly and, and get investors excited. It seems like those are analogies that can be drawn to whatever your problem is. If you have a software and you do certain creative, different responsive things, is there a way to blend those into some kind of a rule or process that just streamlines the heck yeah. out of the company? Maybe that's applicable beyond InfoSec.
1: Absolutely. And that's what we you know we try to spend all our time doing. It's this unique sort of blend of a domain knowledge and how to bring modern data infrastructure and analytics to bear. And that's a group of people that unfortunately doesn't get together and team up as what we'd like to see. If you're in the pure horizontal AI business, I think you have your work cut out for you because you have oh, Google, man. you have Facebook, you have Baidu and, you know, there, there might be great acquirers at the end yep, of the day, yep, but that's yep, a, yep. a tough roster. But if you are the the security domain expert or the HR domain expert, and you combine that with advanced analytics, you have an opportunity to create something that I think is much more defensible oftentimes than some of these more horizontal platforms are today. I
0: agree. I mean, what a what an all or nothing kind of game. And like you said, I mean, acquires, right? Your nirvana of the world, your um, metamind or something got bought up by Salesforce, whatever. those, you get enough smart people around, maybe someone will gobble you. But otherwise, I mean, like you said, defensible, succinct, real business model, you, you should really kind of hit one thing hard. And it's interesting to me because, you know, back in in the, you know, the day of expert systems and, and kind of older school AI, there was hubbub and excitement around doing that kind of in particular domains uh, with that kind of technology. And it seems like now with machine learning, it's a lot more viable that we can kind of glean and learn patterns before we automate them instead of having to think of everything and program everything up front. Maybe that's the core difference here. I don't know how you would word it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a... Fair statement. I I would say like a lot of the vertical business models, you know, you you have a lot of fallback because you're improving an existing workflow and you might improve it by a little, you might improve it by a lot. It's not this sort of all or nothing. There's certain areas around computer vision, you know, around video where we do need, we are in dire need of, of fundamental CS innovation. Right. To make self-driving cars operate under the power constraints that I think they are going to be under medium term to make the system secure is going to require a fundamental amount of innovation. And there are fantastic teams working on this. And what I'd encourage all those teams, again, to focus on is is the business model. Not how can you solve this problem? I believe you can. But how do you make money consistently and durably against, you know, all of the car manufacturers that will spend as much as they need to in order to be competitive? Right.
0: Yes, indeed. Durable, you've you've said on a number of occasions. I think it's a useful and fruitful term to kind of think through as a lens.
1: Last question that I
0: had jotted down, and we've kind of danced around this a little bit here. I'm sure at some point before you were in the investing business, there were plenty of folks coming in and pitching investors who weren't necessarily internet-focused businesses, internet-based business. Maybe it was software, maybe it was hardware, maybe it was other exciting cool tech stuff, but you know, the web may have not been sort of a Of course, completely required facet of it. Nowadays, I don't see much on your wall that isn't pretty much predicated uh, on the internet, more or less entirely. Are we to expect that far enough into the future, you know, maybe as human beings, you know, 10 is a stretch, five is reasonable, that things will become more so that way with AI, where technologies that aren't sort of immediately responsive and helpful and learning from you just sort of won't be real companies and and won't be coming in and pitching you folks in maybe five years, seven years from now? Or do you think that maybe it will be more sequestered into a a corner of companies? Unlike the internet, maybe everybody doesn't need oodles of it to have a legitimate and viable bigger picture business model.
1: Look, I think just much like connectivity has permeated the world with the internet, I think data-driven software is going to permeate the world. Now, there may be different pockets where localized learning makes sense, right? Learning that is sort of in the four walls of my company. If I'm a government agency or I have a sensitive set of data, you know, maybe I want the bounds of that learning to be... Within my company, but for an increasing number of people, I think they want that central that learning to be centralized to write sort of the wisdom of the crowd. How can I, in a privacy conscious matter, share the learnings across companies? is a common refrain you hear about. And to the extent that that will improve the product or service, I think it's going to be do or die. Now there could be products and services that don't need to be data driven, and I think those will exist. But I think those will increasingly become the minority.
0: Got it. So companies who can consistently pool and glean insight aggregately across who they serve and make sure that those best practices sort of show right up in the front and are automated in a
1: streamlined fashion. Yeah. And this is a really interesting weapon that I think cloud and SaaS vendors have in their arsenal because they were inherently built to be somewhat central to be multi-tenant. And I think they're strategically much better positioned to do some of these things than, let's say, a, a piece of on-prem shrink-wrapped software that would have to do an awful lot more, I think, to yeah. share yeah. Uh, in the same way.
0: Um, maybe marketplaces as well, to some extent, if we're sort of predicated on interacting with as many people as possible and pulling all that stuff together. I know that there are, maybe you know this will be useful as some, some final examples for folks to chew on forgetting the name of the company we've interviewed so many secure info security companies and ai it's, it's like borderline ridiculous but similar value propositions too we'll see who, who uh, wins that king of the hill there but they talked about this same notion of gleaning this information from many companies many users many instances in security you know if you're the big dog in yeah. security and you can really get a sense globally for what this activity is and be kind of very clearly the best at responding to this because you've permeated well enough that seems to be defensible let's say are there examples of that maybe in security or elsewhere that you think might be illustrative for people thinking through these kind of business models?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, a space I spend a lot of time thinking about is, is log management. I worked at a company called Splunk, I'm yep. an investment company called Sumo Logic. And I think a lot of these companies are now finally reaching a place where they can start pooling information and say, hey, another company had this issue. This is the problem they had. It looks like you might have this. You might want to check it out. Yeah. And I don't think they're that close to it yet, but but they're on their way. Now, right. the interesting thing to think about here is what is the the basis of differentiation? Is the basis of differentiation, my anomaly is better than yours. The unique thing I've detected is something you fundamentally never could have thought of before. How many of those are there? And, and for most people... Uh, Can you really do anything about it? So yes, if I'm a tier one bank, I can put an analyst on this for five hours, anything, you you know, any alert you flag and I'll I'll go figure out what, how real it is. But for the average company, for everyone else, the basis of competition is much more, okay, the 21 year old gentleman who just joined my SOC team two weeks ago, what can you explain to him? to do about that. And that's where we've gotten a little bit lost, again, between that, the academics of the problem and the reality. We have to make this information truly actionable to create value in the sector. And that's the gap that I think a lot of the security companies are trying to navigate today. And maybe others
0: will as well, people who can kind of pull. I mean, you have your houses of the world who maybe glean an understanding of, you know, if you're if you're looking up enough stuff about porches, you're almost always inevitably looking for this. And so we figure that out and we show that to you more often, and boom, a more successful product, same thing with security, it sounds like uh, in your perspective. And
1: and that's why things like explainability, which are difficult concepts, depending on what your technical approach is, are are more and more important, right? Just the, the right answer without the homework to get there sometimes isn't as valuable as we might have thought.
0: Got it. And that's part of the bridging the gap from the guys with the thickest glasses who spent the most time in grad school working on it and just like letting people do the stuff that we can truly act on. So cool. That does sound like an advantage that SaaS and cloud folks might be able to have. So certainly a lot of fruitful ideas, Jake, I very much appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. That wraps up today's episode here on the tech Emergence podcast. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.